You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. All right. How are we doing, everyone? All right. Right on. Uh, Believe it or not, we're on our second to final week of this series, so... How about that? Way to go, everyone. Uh, If you will, turn with me. We're going to be at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. So we're going to be looking at that today. And this whole series, we've been talking about all of the the good news and all the promises packed into these six verses we've been looking at in 1 Peter 5. We're going to look at that today in verse 10. But before I do that, I'm just going to spend a long time this morning for this teaching, just setting up the problem before we look at all of the good news that's jam-packed in verse 10. But I promise we will get to verse 10. Okay? All right? Um, So I was told about a a story earlier this week by a man named Jerry Sitzer, and he was a professor of theology at Whitworth University in Washington State. And this happened some 30 years ago, about a couple years into him being a professor at this university of theology, of all things. He experienced what was just this unspeakable tragedy in his life. Uh, He lost in a car accident his mother, his wife, and his daughter, just all at once. Just like in the blink of an eye, he got the phone call and is like, his life is now just forever changed by this instance. And he's reflecting upon this unspeakable, unimaginable, unimaginable tragedy that has gone on in his life. And he ends up saying this, He says, loss creates a barren present. And that's not to say like present like a gift, but like a present reality, a present time. A barren present as if one were sailing on a vast sea of nothingness. Those who suffer loss live suspended between a past for which they long and a future for which they hope. They want to return to the harbor of the familiar past and recover what was lost or... They want to sail on and discover a meaningful future that promises to bring them life again. Instead, they find themselves living in a barren present that is empty of meaning. Now, being here at this church, doing life with y'all, just having the honor to be a part of this for the last seven years now, I know a good number of y'all, and I've got to live life with you, experiencing some of the hardships and the stories y'all have experienced, but I don't know all of them. Maybe you've experienced this barren season, this barren present, that the quote puts it, where life has taken you through so much hardship And maybe you're still feeling the pain of it all. And maybe you're experiencing, maybe you're just in the pain, in the suffering right now. And it's nowhere perhaps near that story I just described, but it's still painful. Nevertheless, maybe there's a loss of relationship you recently experienced, whether that's through a death in the family or a relationship that's now fractured and it's just weighing on you so heavily right now and you feel the sadness creeping in and you just don't know what to do with it all. Maybe it's the responsibilities and pressures you have in this life, whether that's parenting or school or work, that you feel like you're just constantly messing up and it leaves you just paralyzed with anxiety, unable to just see out of it. You just have this tunnel vision of just all of these things you have right in front of you. 
Maybe you received a recent diagnosis from your doctor, or perhaps even the very thought of a sickness coming back again just leaves you shaken to the core, and you just don't know what to do with it. It's as though life has just robbed you of meaning and hope. I don't know what has happened in your past. I don't know where all of us are right now, and I can't even begin to predict what's going to happen in your future. But what I do know is that not a one of us is exempt from suffering. Not a single one of us. As John chapter 16 says, Jesus, he says, in this world, you will have trouble, right? That's a promise. He is telling us what reality is going to be like. He's saying not a single one of us is excluded from suffering. Every single one of you will have trouble, and that's a promise. And if I'm being honest, that's not a promise I love from the Bible, That's not a promise I'm putting on a coffee mug or a pillow anytime soon, but it is the reality of what life is like in a broken, fallen, sinful world that in this life, every single one of us will experience suffering. And so then the question becomes, what do we do when the suffering happens in our lives? How do we react to that? How do we respond? So think of it like this. Um, I've got some graphics for us today to illustrate this. If you're a note taker, this is your Sunday, y'all, okay? Uh, Think about it like this. So imagine there's a straight line, all right? And that line represents your life or your timeline, okay? So you're going about your life and along the timeline of your life, you experience suffering or hardship of some hardship of some kind. So for the sake of the graphic, let's say there's this dot, That's now in your timeline, timeline of your life. There's this event, this suffering, this hardship. And how are you going to respond? What are you going to do with it? Because think about it like this. Suffering is, is a significant thing in your life. And on top of that, how you respond to the suffering is just at perhaps even more significant. How you respond to the suffering. As one author put it, he says this. Suffering always changes us, but it does not necessarily change us for the better. And in our place and time, as we've said before, our culture, our modern reality doesn't really give us any really uh, significant, meaningful answers for how we are to think about life, let alone how we deal with suffering. Because in our materialistic culture, it's all about, hey, what can you prove scientifically? If you can't prove anything scientifically, then it's just all imagination and made up and nonsense. You can hold to it if you'd like, but, you know, that's just an illusion. It's a fabrication. It's a truth that you made up. So when it comes to a higher meaning, a higher purpose, it's like, whatever, hey, sure, whatever works for you, but it's not real. Your best bet, they would say, is find your own meaning all the while knowing that whatever reality you construct, whatever meaning you put into this life, it's all an illusion. It's not real. So if you find meaning in a relationship or work or family, that's great, but it doesn't really matter. Again, it's all constructed. This meaning you give yourself is not real. Everything's going to just die out eventually. So when it comes to suffering, modern reality gives us no narrative, no resources for how to think about pain and suffering. So to put that graphic back up there, how do you interpret that dot, that hardship that shows up in your life? And a number of people can do this in a number of ways. So one example, let's say you have 
no purpose, no uh, resources, no hope to give you meaning in the suffering. Some respond to the suffering by filtering out anything that is good or positive in your life. All that's left is the suffering and the pain. All that's left in your life is what has gone bad and wrong. And there's no recognition of the gifts of God or the grace of God in your life. Your mind has filtered all of those out and what is left is darkness. And that dot of suffering becomes this black dot with no light or hope in it at all. So for example, let's say you had a falling out with a friend. They betray your trust or they leave, or you feel like they rejected you, or maybe they've just, you know, moved town. And if you're filtering, if you're thinking through everything like this, if you're filtering, you can respond to that and say, you know what, it makes sense. They left because I'm unlovable, and this is who I am. I don't have any real relationships anymore. I'm truly alone now with nothing and no one. And that dot, that bit of hardship in your life, even if it started out small, becomes the filter by which you interpret everything else. And in turn, it grows and grows and it blocks out any light in your life. And that darkness can end up consuming you and robbing you of any joy. Or perhaps you have another example. Perhaps there you have no hope or purpose or meaning by which to understand your suffering. Some people will respond by catastrophizing the situation. That dot becomes a spiral where it's easy to see that whatever is bad now, you just extrapolate that out and say, well, of course, it's always going to be this way. It's always going to be like this. And you know what? It's only going to get worse. And you mentally spiral into all of these assumptions about you and your life and God and others around you. Let's say you get negative feedback at your job and now your mind spirals to, well, you know, uh, it's only a matter of time before I get fired and that's going to show up on my resume and it's not going to look good and no one's going to hire me after that and I'll never get another job ever again. Or let's say perhaps you failed with parenting your kid. Maybe you disciplined them too lightly or too harshly and then your mind just spirals to, I'm an awful parent. I stink at this. You know what? I'm just like my, my father or my mother. I'm just, I'm just a carbon copy of them. I'll never get out of that. Maybe you fall back into an old sin pattern again, and you just resign yourself to think, you know what? I give up. I give up. I'm, I'm always going to be like this. And your mind just spirals. When you catastrophize your suffering, there becomes no hope for change. And the dot that is your suffering sends your mind down this black hole to a point where you can't hope in anything. God's promises included, even when things come along and they're good and they're positive, it's impossible for you to be thankful or have joy because your mind's like, well, it's only a matter of time before I just blow this up or something awful will happen. So I'm not gonna, you know, get my hopes up. I'm all gonna hold it loosely because it's only a matter of time before it fails me. For some of us, we can have that dot of suffering in our lives and what can happen is we just zoom in on that suffering. We zoom in on the dot we zoom in on it and we feel like the suffering, the pain, the hardship, like this instance is just going to last forever and we're stuck there. We're just stuck in the suffering, whatever it is. Or maybe it's something that has happened in your past and you can't move on from it. And so it just feels like there's no like line in your life anymore. All there is, is this suffering, this pain, and your life is going to be forever entrenched 
by this and defined by this, and you possibly cannot work your way through it. Here's another one, another way we can respond to the dot, to the suffering in your life. And I think it can happen a lot in Christian circles. Let's say pain, suffering, hardship enter into your life. And the response is just put on a happy face, right? Just put on a happy face. Just baptize your pain and suffering with Christian lingo. Or worse yet, you just never talk about it at all. It's all going on underneath, but no one would ever know because you're just putting on the happy face. But when that happens, you're actually denying the darkness that's in the world. It's to deny the darkness going on in your life as though the pain does not really exist. And when that happens, hear me, when that happens, it's so easy to just stagnate in your walk with Jesus to perpetually be immature because part of maturity and growing into the image of Jesus is to learn to grieve and to deal with suffering and not to avoid it, but to work through it. And like I said, in the church world, it's easy for this to happen. Like you or someone else shares something truly hard to someone else and not even a beat passes and someone pipes up and says, well, it's all in God's plan. Or someone will say, hey, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good. So, you know, there's that. Twitch, yes, no doubt, that is all true things you're saying. And that's only half of it because people also need to grieve. People also need to lament and process through the pain. Usually people need to hear in the moment of their suffering. Sometimes, most of the time, they just need someone to give them a hug or a shoulder to cry on. And yeah, like, we'll get to the truth, yes. We'll get to the verses, yes. But right now, in this moment, we just need to cry. We just need to sit with it. And when we're quick to offer those pat Christian answers, we might actually be denying the reality of the painful situation. And in turn, we might actually be showing a lack of care to the person undergoing the suffering. I mean, I just think about how many times the scriptures talk about pain and suffering and hardship in the Bible. And it just kind of, it just kind of is there, just kind of leaves it at that. No like happy resolution, nothing like that. It's just, hey, this is awful. This is painful. And that's it. Think about how so many of the Psalms are like that, where they just talk about how distant God seems, how much they're just going through this heartache and their pain. And it's just, and that's it. The chapter's over. Think about how there's a book in the Bible literally called Lamentations, like lament. And there's like a couple spots of hope in there, but for the most part, it's just five chapters worth of this is awful. God, where are you? The pain is real. I'm in darkness. What are you going to do? I think about how uh, in Genesis, Jacob, God's, God changes the name of Jacob to Israel, which ends up becoming the name of the nation of Israel. The name literally means he wrestles with God. And part of wrestling with our pain, part of dealing and processing with it means we too are to wrestle with God, to wrestle with his promises, to persevere and to cling to him, but to at the very least acknowledge that this pain that we feel is real. And my fear is in the process, if we don't take the time to lament our suffering, to grieve the hardship, if we're just quick to move on and just put on the happy face, 
then my fear is stuff can grow underneath us, just in the dark, perhaps unbeknownst to us. Perhaps this painful thing happens in our lives and we're just quick to move on. All the while underneath, we develop unhealthy coping mechanisms. Blind spots, bigger blind spots in our lives start to occur. We start running to sin secretly because we just would not rather deal and process through the pain. And if I can be honest with you, this is the one I tend to do the most. It doesn't look like a happy face, but oftentimes it looks like, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to acknowledge it. This is awful. I would rather just avoid it or ignore it and just go about my work rather than actually working through it. And I have been so thankful uh, for those of you who have reached out to me and to other pastors, especially during this season of ministry, just to reach out and give us a hug and to say, how are you doing? I think about a church member who came up uh, the other Sunday with like a journal saying, specifically, how can I pray for you right now? I think about a friend of mine who just reached out and got coffee with me earlier this week just to hear how I'm doing. And I've been so, so thankful for that. And uh, I know I've said this plenty of times here, but it's like, I'm so grateful to be a part of this church. And I didn't really know uh, this is just like a new reason, a new thing I'm thankful for of like, man, this is such a beautiful place to just hurt and grieve. I'm so thankful for y'all. All this to say, these are different ways to interpret the dot that don't take the full scope of scripture in mind because the reality is pain is real and it's crushing and it's brutal. And we also have a real hope in Jesus that we're called to embrace as well. That is the bedrock of the reality, even in our suffering. So not only does Jesus offer us a hope for the future, he's a present helper who's had experience in the pain and in the suffering, whatever it is you're going through. As Isaiah 53 says, he is a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. Another translation says, he is familiar with pain. We follow a savior who has suffered, We follow a God who weeps. He knows and he's promised that even in the suffering, he is with us. He offers us hope. And it's this hope that in Jesus, if I can be honest with y'all, is really hard to see when you are suffering. So when suffering happens, when it comes our way, how do we deal with that? Or better yet, how can we prepare ourselves for when suffering happens. If Jesus says this is gonna happen, how do we train our souls to be ready for it? And the answer, 1 Peter 5.10 says, is we gotta rehearse our hope. We have to rehearse our hope. We have to train our souls for the day when suffering comes our way. So all that to say, uh, 1 Peter 5.10, let's look at that. I told you I'd get there. It's gonna be a long setup. Here we are. Uh, I think what's really fascinating is 1 Peter, you read the commentaries and they all are talking about how this book is really written to suffering Christians. They're scattered all throughout the Roman Empire, all throughout Asia. They are dying. They are getting persecuted for their faith. They're all suffering. And so 1 Peter is written by the disciple Peter to offer them hope in the midst of their suffering. So the whole book is about it, but verse 10 especially, he is the most overt as to how to deal with suffering. So I'm going to be hopping back and forth a little bit in the verse, but bear with me. 1 Peter 5.10, 
says the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. He's first reminding them to look up from their present circumstances to notice what God has already done in their lives. He has called you. He has called you. Past tense. It's like, don't don't just stare and be fixated on that dot of the suffering happening in your life. Look up to God. See who he is and what he has already done for you. That word called is the Greek word kaleo, and it's this illustration of God the Father saw you running the opposite way from him, just in your sin. And God, in his loving, powerful, gentle voice, beckoned you to himself and by his spirit drew you in to the family of God. That is who you are now if you are in Christ. He has called you. You are a part of this. So Peter is reminding them to rehearse your hope, to celebrate God's faithfulness. Celebrate his faithfulness in your life. He brought you from death to life, from darkness to light in your present circumstances. Your present suffering, even as terrible as it may be, does not change what God has done for you, and it never will. Here's another way it's described in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. One thing I really love about that verse is notice verse six, that he has raised us up with him. He has seated us up with him in the heavenly places. Even though we are living this life, if you are in Christ, he has raised you up with him. And it's this idea of when you are in Christ, when you are clinging to him and celebrating his faithfulness, you're able to see your reality for who you are in Christ, that you are seated up there with him. And when you are up there with him, you're able to zoom out from your suffering. You're able to zoom out and see the bigger picture of what is going on in your life. You have this vantage point now in Christ so that life does not consume you when suffering happens. You are in Christ now, and that's ultimate, and nothing can change that ever because God always keeps his word. When he makes a promise over you, he intends to keep it forever and ever, and what it says here is that he has called you, that you are raised up with him forever, and nothing can change that. I think about how uh, right now we've been doing this for a few months at our house around the dinner table. Uh, We have one of those... uh, like calendars where it's like a verse a day and we, you know, we'll clear off the dinner table and we'll just have that thing in the middle of the table just as sort of like a visual cue for me and my wife to lead our kids in like a little Bible devotional time. And what we'll do is we'll pray for dinner, we'll eat food, and then me or my wife, we will read that verse of the day. And we always ask that question like, all right, kids, what does this tell us about God? Raise your hand. And so I'll read the verse and I'll like explain the context or like there's some words they don't understand, just how to explain that. So I'll read the verse and then they'll like shoot their hands up and I'll say, yes, Sawyer, what's this verse tell us about God? Uh, God loves us a whole, whole lot. That's right. Or it's like God protects us. God is always with us. God likes us. God enjoys being with us. And then almost every single time, me or my wife will say, is that true? Yes, it's true. How do you know that's true, though? Well, because God keeps his word. He does? 
yes. And it's just like every single time I'm, it's so simple, but I'm struck by the fact that like almost every single time we do this every single day, it always goes back to God keeps his word and you can trust him. When he says words over you, you can trust that. And while that's so simple and I am like, we are trying our hardest to just drill that into our kids. Hey, no matter what, God loves you. Even if you've had a hard day, kids, God loves you. He keeps his word, even though that's so simple. It's something that's so easy to forget. It's something that I need to hear too. God is faithful. He keeps his word always. And you can celebrate that. And when you celebrate that, what happens is it anchors your soul down so that when you are suffering or when uh, you are about to experience suffering, it trains you, it anchors you down for when suffering inevitably blindsides you. The second thing I want to point out, how to rehearse our hope is to recognize God's current activity. Recognize God's current activity. Verse 10, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. God has promised this, that in the midst of your suffering, this is what is happening. And it's interesting, Paul lists off, or Peter rather, lists off these four words, and they almost seem like kind of synonymous. And it's like, yo, Peter, if you just said one of those words, I'd be like, that's awesome. You know, if you just said, and the God of all hope will restore you, I'd say, great, thank you so much. But he says these words to reinforce this idea that even in your suffering, he is doing something in the midst of it. In the process, he is restoring you, confirming you, strengthening you, establishing you, making you whole, making you look more like Jesus. God is doing something that perhaps we may not see in the moment, but our suffering in the hands of a loving God, he's using those seemingly chaotic, pointless, brutally agonizing moments to make us look more like him, to help you look more like Jesus when you trust him in it, when you talk to him about the pain, when you give your pain over to him, when you talk about your pain in Jesus-centered community, in the process, by the power of his spirit, he is using those moments to make you whole, to look more like himself. And hear me, I am not trying to, at the very least, uh, diminish your suffering by offering some silver lining because suffering and pain are awful. And we believe in someone who rose from the dead, which means suffering and death never get the final word over you, ever. The world would want you to believe that this life is all there is and suffering and pain and death, that's just how the world works, so get over it. But we believe in a higher rock that not only offers us hope in our suffering, but in fact transforms us in our suffering. And in the scope of eternity, suffering is not wasted, but is used in the hands of a God to shape us to be more like Jesus who suffered himself. It's like Jesus says in John 16. I read the first half of the verse, but the second half. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Today, if you are in Christ, if you have placed your trust in Jesus, take heart. He has overcome the world. He is working in you and around you and through you. If you're here this morning and you are in a season of suffering for whatever reason, perhaps the dot in your life that is suffering feels like this massive black hole that's robbing you of joy right now. Take heart. 
Jesus has overcome the world. Hold fast to Jesus just as he is holding ever faster to you. If you're here this morning and you feel this pull within you to resign or to catastrophize and say, maybe this is it. Maybe this is my life now, this pain. I feel like a failure, a screw up. Jesus tells you, take heart. He has overcome the world. Press into the hope that Jesus offers through his spirit. And when you do, he will strengthen you and confirm you and restore you and establish you. Or maybe you're here and you've just gotten numb to it all. Maybe you put on a happy face or maybe you just try to distract yourself from the pain. Remember that Jesus himself, the son of God, Jesus himself wept and he himself has felt pain and lamented and grieved. So you don't need to put on this stoic persona as though you have have to have it all together. You can go to Jesus with it and have the freedom to feel undone and broken by grief. Because when you do, when you give your brokenness over to him, he will work in you by his spirit to restore you. So take heart. He has overcome the world. Final thing for us, and I'll be really quick with this, how we rehearse our hope, number three, is to remember that today is not the end. Today is not the end. Look back at verse 10. Peter says, and after you have suffered a little while, after you've suffered a little while. So whatever the darkness has been in your life, whatever the suffering is today, whatever trouble you're experiencing or will be down the road for you, if you are in Christ, trusting him, following the way of Jesus, that is not the end for you. Today is not the end for you. Your darkest day is not the end for you because we know the end. If you are in Christ, we know the end. Jesus says he has gone to prepare a place for us to be with him forever. Jesus has promised that everything sad will become untrue. Jesus has promised he will wipe every tear from your eyes and everything broken will be made whole. I think back to that line and dot illustration. And for followers of Jesus, we believe in the reality that says that there is life beyond this life. There is life beyond this life. That line of your life actually stretches out into eternity forever and ever. And the world will say, nope, this is it. This is all there is. But God promises that these years we have on this planet, however long we may have, are but a blip, are but a vapor compared to the eternity that's stretched out before us. So hold fast. Today is not the end. The bad will not last forever. And if if I may borrow a little bit from last week, the beauty of being part of a local church, of belonging to church family, is to know that we don't suffer alone. What's radical in the New Testament is every time you see the you in Scripture, like most of the time it's in the plural, like you all. So y'all is actually more correct for 1 Peter, but you know, he's not from the South, but you know. Uh, So he's given this encouragement to all of them saying, you all, when you suffer, notice you're suffering together, hold fast to these promises together. And it's this idea that when we are part of a church community, we don't suffer alone. In fact, we've had people who have gone before us, who have suffered in front of us to give us encouragement, to persevere, to hold fast to Jesus. I'll give you one story of recent that comes to mind in our church family uh, that gives me so much hope 
and courage to persevere uh, even in the pain. Some of you who have been around a while know about uh, one of our church members, Miss Barbara. Uh, Barbara was in her late 60s when she began coming around our church, so about eight years ago. And she was in a small group with her and her husband, Mitch, uh, all with people considerably younger than them. And a few years ago, uh, Miss Barbara started to have some health complications. She had be, to be admitted to the hospital for all the pain she was experiencing. And because of COVID at the time, she couldn't see any visitors. So here's Miss Barbara alone on her hospital bed, experiencing all of this physical pain. And it's like, you know, what do you do with that? And she was telling one of our pastors later how she just could not bear the loneliness or the pain. It was just like too much for her. And so she just started to pray in her empty hospital room. She just started to pray. And in her prayer, she asked Jesus to be with her. Jesus, will you be with me right now in the pain? And as she's relaying this to one of our pastors, she started to cry and smile and said, and you know what? Jesus showed up. He was there in the hospital room with me. Well, eventually, COVID restrictions began to lift and her health began to recover. Her life group would show up to visit her a lot and encouraging her, sometimes even like showing up uh, outside the window in the hospital room, just like, hey, we love you, you know, comforting her. Some of you all know, like a little over a year ago, just like right in that spot right there, we baptized Miss Barbara and... Uh, you know, because of the leg pain, like she couldn't go up the stairs like normally when we baptize people. So it was like, you know, a number of us just like lifting her into the baptism pool. It was just one of the most beautiful things I could ever experience. All the while, church, family, life groups surrounding her. A few months ago, some health complications came back and she was placed on hospice care. And a few days before her passing, her life group gathered together in her uh, retirement home apartment, her life group and some others in our church family gathered together and just spent an evening singing worship songs over her in her bed and reading scripture over her and praying over her. Her eyes were closed with a smile on her face so much of the time, just life group and her immediate family and some other folks just all in our church community just singing and saying and praying these things over her. And because of the hope she has in Jesus, just a few days later, when she closed her eyes for the last time in this life, she would open them again and behold the face of Jesus, the God of all comfort. And she is now there with him, free from suffering and pain forever and ever. Man, I just, I remember those few days, like right before she passed and everyone's just there praying over her. So many prayers of hope to say, Jesus, Barbara's going to see you really soon. She's really looking forward to seeing you. If you are in Christ, nothing bad lasts forever. The pain will not last forever. The same hope that she clung to is made available to you now. So will you not go to him now and receive the hope that she and so many others before her have clung to? 
Wherever you are in your suffering, you can go to him now. He is ready. He is willing. He is eager to receive whatever it is you're going through. He can handle whatever pain you are experiencing right now because he loves you and he wants to be with you. And if you need proof, just look at the cross and look how far he is willing to go just to be with you, to enter into the pain, to be with you in your pain. So let's go to him now. Will you pray with me?